And now we're going to record. Okay, so yeah, we are jumping into 1 John today. Uh, we're going to be here for a little while. We will talk about 2 John and 3 John, just kind of in reference as we do this. 2 and 3 John, still written by the same person during kind of the same time, but for slightly different purposes. Um, 1 John, to be honest, we went through 1 John three years ago, but that was something called a COVID year. And so not everybody was in the building. And so we don't know who all was listening, but we figure like right now is a good time to kind of go back through, uh, go through this book. Um, First John is one of those, I kind of put it up there with the book of James. It's incredibly practical. Um, it's got some very just kind of hands-on ideas and ways to think, things to do. Uh, the theology is rich and deep there as well. Uh, but John's writing it for a specific purpose which we might not know specifically what that is, but we'll talk about that. But it's very relatable for us, which is kind of how we'll wrap things up today. Um, before I do that, I did want to give an update on, on Eli Gunther. Um, you guys, I think a lot of you guys have been following. You know the Gunthers. Um, their baby had open heart surgery. He's six months old, had open heart surgery this week down at MUSC. Um, was able to go down there and, and be with them for that. Um, you know, very stressful, scary time for them just to go through all of that. And uh, we've been talking to him since then. And, and also just to praise the Origins family a little bit, like, um, you know, someone was generous to give, to give a large portion of money and say, look, uh, can you do with this what you need for, for some for certain families? And we were able to give that to them so that while they're down there for one to two weeks, they don't have to worry about food. It's taken care of. And so that's a big deal. So thank you guys for being the family that does that, even without us asking. Like, that was not a request. And so that was just done. So thank you um, for being that kind of family that does that. Um, but as of right now, uh, Eli is off all breathing aid, like he's breathing on his own. Um, he is, uh, he's doing well. He's no longer in ICU. He's in a step-down room. And so he's on a little bit of pain meds left because they still have a few drains left, anterior and posterior on his heart. That's kind of the last step to speed his recovery up is to remove that. They're hoping to remove that today. Uh, sleep is still not happening very much at night for Jonathan, Brittany, or Eli. Uh, so pray for that. They're going to need that at some point. But right now, the goal is to get him self-sufficient and moving forward and healing. Um, continue to pray for them. So emotional week, like to be down there and to, to wait just from one hour to the next for a beeper to tell you how your son is doing. Like, I've never been there. Um, like, I, I don't know what that's like. And so to sit there and watch the anxiety, but to watch their faith um, was a blessing, to watch them trust that you know, with, with each message that they got, could be bad, could be good, but God was still in control. That's a big deal. And so through this, yes, let's pray that Eli is knit back together, but pray that Jonathan and Brittany, their faith is made stronger. And I'll be honest too, like, and Neil, one of our elders can attest to this, like, we believe in God to do something massive through their gym community as a result of this. They have a very tight-knit gym family at Five Forks Athletics, and we know for a fact people are seeing the goodness of God through their faith right now, and we are trusting that God's going to use this for his glory, for the growth of his kingdom, for the refinement of his family, and for the beauty and the glory of Jesus' name. And so pray for that with us. Um, so, yeah. All right. My wife looked at me. She said, you have visual aids today. I do. We'll talk about visual aids in just a minute, or show and tell, I think is what she accused me of. Um, but yeah, if you have your Bibles, go ahead and open to 1 John. We're going to jump in. Uh, Got to give us a little bit of context as to why we are here, what's going on, um, all of the W's, the when, the why's, and the what for's, all of that kind of stuff first. And then we're just going to tackle the first four verses uh, of this book, and we'll kind of go through. It'll take us several weeks to get through, as we are guilty of most of the time. Um, it won't be a mark 18 months, but it'll, it'll be, we're going to take our time and we'll probably hit pause for Advent, pick it back up in January. Um, 
And if you're here, you may look around. If you bought one of the journaling uh, books, hold that up. Yeah, there's a few of those sitting around. You can go on Amazon, and these are in the weekly email too. And it's basically just first and second and third John. And it's got room for journaling. So if you wanted to do that, you can order those. Uh, they're like six bucks. Uh, there's a pretty one, and then there's one that's just jet black. Um, but I see more of the pretty ones today. They're decorative. Decorative is the word. Um, they're floating around. So if you want one of those, uh, feel free to, to order away and use it all you want. And so, book of 1 John. Um, great similarities, which we'll talk about, between what they are going through, what we are going through, um, just with different titles, to be honest. And we'll, we'll talk about that. But basically, same guy that wrote the book of John. This was one of the disciples, followers of Jesus. Um, you know, there was some debate in, you know, 4th, 5th, 6th, 7th century, but, you know, this is what we've come to. Like, this is John. Like, this is John. You know, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, those guys that wrote the Gospels, but also the John that followed Jesus. And so he wrote this. At this point in his life, uh, he's, probably, he's probably quite aged. At this point, he's the last surviving of the capital D disciples. The rest have all been killed or martyred. Um, and John's still alive, not for lack of trying. Uh, he was deep fried at one point. Literally, I mean, he was dropped in a vat of boiling oil. We call that deep frying. You know, Chick-fil-A is the best at it, but apparently it did nothing to John. He walked out unscathed. And so at this point, he's living in a place called Ephesus, which we should be familiar with. It's kind of in Asia Minor. And so to think about it in terms of the mission and of the gospel, when Jesus left, Matthew 28 and Acts 1-8, when he said, I want you to be my witnesses, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth, right now John is living in their ends of the earth. Like, it's about the reaches of the Roman Empire. And for them, that's as far as they knew that life really went. And so he's living there. Uh, a little before the fall of Jerusalem in AD 70, uh, John, with a lot of the other leaders of the church, they had to leave and they had to get out uh, because things were not just, not just precarious for them, but they were dangerous. And if they wanted the church to continue, the church to thrive, they had to find another base of operations. So John landed in Ephesus. Uh, John was in Ephesus for a good little while before Domitian, the guy that was over the Roman Empire at that point, decided that John needed to die. And so they sent John to the Isle of Patmos, which was basically like a penal colony. It was a rock island where most people were sent to serve a sentence or die. John was an old man when this happened, but for some reason, again, he did not die on the rock island. He came back. And so during that time on Patmos, we have the book of Revelation. Most likely, believe it or not, even though 1 John comes before Revelation in the canon of Scripture, 1 John was most likely written after. Um, and so just a few years, because shortly after he got back from Patmos and the, the book of Revelation began to be dispersed, uh, John most likely wrote 1 John, 2 John, 3 John. We'll talk about how those letters went out and why they weren't necessarily the same as the rest. Um, and then a few years later, he died. Um, John died at a ripe old age, and for a disciple, that was unheard of. Because most of them, like I said, they had been martyred, they had been killed, either beheaded, hung on a cross, stoned, all of those types of things. But John had survived twice that we know of, and there were probably other times. And so it's very likely, given the, the sovereignty and the nature of God doing things very intentionally, he survived for these purposes, uh, to write to the existing church uh, about these things that we're going to talk about over the next several weeks, but also the book of Revelation and things like that, things that we needed to know so that when they happen, we may recognize them and give glory to God and be prepared. And so probably around the 90s is when this was written. Um, he was exiled to Patmos around 94, 95, and if he wrote this when he came back, we're looking at 95, 96, somewhere in there towards the end of the first century. Um, he could have written it potentially before he went to Patmos, but either way, same idea. And so if he was around 20 when he followed Jesus, um, and Jesus was crucified around 30 A.D., then this is 60-some-odd years later. 
60 some odd years later. And so this man is, you know, 75 to 95 years old right now, depending on when he was born. And so he's an aged man. He's an aged man, and he's been following Jesus. Let's, let's get this straight. As far as, like, formal leadership, elder men, he's been following Jesus longer than anybody. Longer than anybody. And that needs to be said. Like, we're going to read the way that he introduces this letter, which is completely different from the way that other pastoral epistles are introduced. But we need to understand, like, who it's coming from. Like, who it's coming from. It's vastly important that we latch on to this a man that's followed Jesus for a very, very, very long time. People have tried to kill him several times because of it, yet he's still alive. He's still breathing. He's still shepherding. He's still guiding. He's still kicking. He's still going. And so this was in the, the mid to late 90s. Um, and so an older man. And so he's writing it from Ephesus. But this is one of the differences. I kind of put this, again, like I relate it to James and the practicality, but I relate it into the book of Galatians because Galatians was a region and so when Galatians was written by Paul, it was written kind of to a region. It was intended to be a circular letter of sorts. The book of John was very similar. The book of 1 John, rather, was very similar. It was meant to not necessarily go to one person or even one church at a place, but it was meant to kind of circulate, to go around. And when we read it, it reads far more like a sermon than it does a pastoral letter or an epistle. It reads more like, you know, sitting down in front of people that you love and you want them to hear something and you just, he just has these, these things that he needs to address and tell them. So it reads far more like that. So the structure is a bit circular. It's not point A, point B, point C, and then we move on. Um, he does. He kind of goes around, uh, around these certain issues that he'll talk about over and over. He uses several if-then statements, conditional statements like if this, if A, then B you know, kind of a thing, but, or if not A, then not B, these kinds of things. Maybe you sat through philosophy 101 in college, and it was logic, and it was a horrible class for you, like it was for me. It was like math without numbers, and it made no sense. But either way, that's what John does. He promotes some logical arguments, like if you want to know what this looks like, then think about it. If this, then that, and we'll get, over the, get into those in the next several weeks. Um, and so he wrote it to these, these seven churches, most likely, that we would read about in the beginnings of the book of Revelation. And it started with Ephesus, and then it would go to Smyrna and Paragam, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea, all of those churches that we see the letters written to in the beginnings parts of Revelation. These are all the churches that are in modern-day Turkey or this particular area on the Aegean Sea right around Ephesus. And so they were all likely dealing with the same issues because they were in the same region and being infected by the same things. And so John, being this elder statesman to a degree, but this elder statesman of the church, the ecclesia, he decided that he needed to address what was going on. But the way that he does it is very interesting, and it makes it a bit confusing for us because there's been a lot of theories as to what exactly was going on uh, during this time that he needed to write to. But here's the interesting thing John does. He never points out what they were dealing with. He just points out the truth. He never says, look, you're hearing this, no, he, he skips that, and he just says, Here, here's the truth. Here's the truth. Here's the light. Here's the love. Here's the darkness. Here's the truth. That's what he does. So in order to point out error, this is something we can pick up from John right away. He just points out truth. He just points out truth, and that's why it's so vitally applicable for us, like now. And so a couple of the thoughts that were possibly the reason and the rationale behind his letter, um, they would grow from Gnosticism. And so Gnosticism is almost like a denial of a lot of things, very Greek idea, but from that would have been Docetism, which would have been this idea that Jesus wasn't flesh, he was just spirit. 
And we're not so much concerned about the fleshly things. We're just concerned about the spiritual things. The fleshly things being sin, no big deal. And so Jesus, he really wasn't walking around with skin on. He was just something you saw, kind of a figment of your spiritual imagination. John never necessarily names this. Like if we want to think that way and we read some things, we're like, yeah, that makes sense. But I think if we get so caught up on the potential uh, problems or what they were with their specificity, we miss the fact that we've already pointed out he didn't address the problem. He just addressed the truth. He just addressed the truth. And so whether it was a form of Gnosticism or Docetism, it, it doesn't really matter. But what we know, his idea and his goal was to encourage, his goal was to correct, and his goal was to point to truth that is in only Jesus. And man, we, we need that. Like, I don't care where we are. Like, we need that. Like, we need correct thought. We need correct belief. We need correct understanding about who this Jesus really is. And so we're going to jump in, chapter 1, verses 1 through 4. And we're going to read this. And I'll tell you, like, it is. As far as the way letters are introduced in the New Testament, it's completely unique, completely different. Like, I loved when we went through uh, Philippians in a while back, and we talked about just the, the encouraging nature of Philippians, which set it apart from the Paulian letters. Uh, this one is... is separate as well. It's just different, written by another guy, but also just the structure of it and everything. It does feel like, like, hear me, it feels like your grandfather is sitting down with you and he's had a life, a life full of faithful following of Jesus. And he's kind of sitting back and he's like, grandson, granddaughter, just listen for a little while. That's what it feels like. He's lived it. He's seen it. He's been provided for. He's been taken care of. He's loved. He's done all of those things. And he's just like, just, just hear me out. Just hear me out. So let me pray again, and we're going to jump in, and we're going to read. God, we love you. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for your word. Uh, Father, I pray as a church that is thousands of years removed from the life of Ephesus and Philadelphia and Sardis and all of those places, uh, God, I pray that we hear the same truths that they did through this letter that you inspired uh, your servant John to write. God, I pray that we would see that the application is not lost because of the years. As a matter of fact, Father, the momentum and the ground that has been gained due to sin and erroneous thought, God, I pray that we would see maybe it's far more applicable today than maybe it was even then. And Father, you would do the same with us that you did for these followers of Jesus. You would just point out the truth that we need to hold on to, the truth that we need to believe so that we can be sure, so that we can be encouraged, uh, so that we can be right in our thinking, right in our following, right in our identity. God, thank you for loving us. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you that through him we have your word. And it's in your son's name we pray. Amen. So chapter 1, verse 1, we're going to read through the first four verses and then talk about them a little bit. This is how he starts. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we looked upon and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life. The life was made manifest, and we have seen it, and testify it, and proclaim to you eternal life, which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. That's what we, that which we have seen and heard we proclaim also to you, so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. And we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. A couple of things to point out the uniqueness of the book of John. He doesn't say, hey, this is John. He doesn't. Now, 
Second John, third John, he's writing it to individuals or to an individual place, but in this one being a, a circular letter, uh, maybe he didn't feel the need. Maybe the, the people of Ephesus knew him as this, this elder, this leader, this shepherd who had been shepherding so well. Maybe they knew his voice by this point, or maybe he didn't even really think that it was that important because they were going to figure out who he was momentarily, but he didn't start that way. A majority of the time, if we read the Paulian letters, we see he's like, hey, this is your servant Paul. Timothy's right here, um, and I'm writing you for this reason. I think very highly of you. You're great. You rock like Van Halen. Sammy Hagar, Van Halen. You're very good. Those kind of things. But John, he just kind of, he jumps right into it. And it's very reminiscent the same way in which he jumped right into his gospel. If we think John chapter 1, verse 1, the gospel, in the beginning was the word. The word was with God. The word was God. Same way he started. Here he's starting that which was from the beginning. He starts the same way. He doesn't feel the need to introduce himself. He doesn't feel the need to, to launch into a lot of things. He's just starting from the beginning. Now, in John chapter 1, the gospel of John, he's starting at the very beginning, the creative beginning. In the beginning was the word, the logos, the word was with God, the word was God. But in this place, he's hearkening back to the beginning of the gospel itself because that's where, that's where these people's lives started. And understand, like, they may be 15, they may be 25, they may be 45. They're not 75, 85, 90 the way John is. And so John's like, look, I'm going back to the beginning that I saw, that I touched, that I was a part of. But I want to remind you of that very same beginning. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen, we've looked upon. John in this moment is saying, I was there. I saw it, I touched it, I was there. That beginning is the beginning that I'm talking about. In this particular time and place, um, whether we put a title with it or not, the issue was 60 some odd years after Jesus' ascension and sitting back at the right hand of God, 60 some odd years there were cultures at play. Whether it was the Gnosticism or the Docetism, whatever it was, or whether it was just Greek culture at large, there were people coming in and they were saying, yeah, you've been following this Jesus, but let me tell you something you should add to it. Not like the Galatians idea, not like the legalism that was added in Galatians, but this is different. These are people that are trying to say, look, that Jesus that you believed in, yeah, he was a great guy, but I think you've misunderstood You've misunderstood. And they were listening. What we're going to see in chapter 2 and chapter 3 is that many were led away from the church. They were being pulled away. They had believed wholeheartedly in Christ, yet someone comes with a different message, a new message, an additional idea, and they're just like, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll taste that. I'll follow that. I'll go after that. And John's taking a moment to remind them, you're listening to the wrong people. Hear me. You're listening to the wrong people. He's taking a moment to establish something that we'll get to, but the way he establishes it is like, look, I want you to think back to the beginning of this good news, and I want you to know that I was there. I was there. And he's not taking a moment to brag. He's not taking a moment to, to puff himself up. He's just, he's like, look, if we're going to talk about the beginning, let me, let me remind you of the beginning because I saw him. I walked with him. I was there. His mom became my mom. I took care of her until her death. I was there. This is the John who's speaking. And he's using the, the word we instead of I. And a lot of people are going to read that. We're like, who is the we? We tend to think now that that we is the same way in which we sometimes talk about we instead of I. 
You know, same thing. Like even in community groups, we say, you know, use I statements. Don't say we. It gets you out of it. John's okay. We're going to let him do it, okay? We're fine with that. But basically, it's still the personal idea of me, I, but we, maybe the collective of the people that he was with and leadership at the time, but specifically, like John is talking about, his experience. He said, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we looked upon and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life. He's like, that's what I'm going to talk about. I'm not going to talk about the erroneous things that you're, you're partaking in. I, I just want to talk about the truth, the truth that I've seen, the truth that I've heard, the truth that I've witnessed. Then in verse 2 he says, the life was made manifest, and we have seen it. The life was made manifest. That was God with skin on, appeared before our eyes, made real before our eyes. This life was Jesus. He said, this is who I'm talking about. Like this life that was made real and, and tangible in front of us. Like we have seen that. I have been there. And then he says, and to testify and proclaim to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and made manifest to us. He's like, again, you're listening to all these people. They have all these ideas. Maybe that's the subtext, but he's just like, but I'm, I'm coming to you as kind of an expert because I am. And again, not bragging, just pointing out the fact. He was John. He was there. And he's like this life that, that holds all things together. Again, going back to John chapter 1, uh, the Word was with God. The Word was God. There was nothing that was made that was not made by the Word. Like all of these things in John, he's like that life, that life is the one that we've seen. That Jesus, which he'll put name to it in just a minute. And he said, which was with the Father and made manifest to us again. Skin was placed on God. We saw that. Then in verse 3, he said, that which we have seen and heard we proclaim to you so that you, may, you too may have fellowship with us. Paul's there. He's like all of these things that we're talking about. Now I'm testifying and I'm proclaiming to you because I want you to think and know the way I think and what I know. I want us to be together in this, to have fellowship in this. Quantania was the word for fellowship here, and later it was, uh, and, and earlier and later it was kind of meant to be like the fellowship of the saints, the church, kind of an idea, this, this community that we live in. And he's saying, look, if we think the same, if we believe the same, then we have that. We're together. And he's like, this is why I testify. This is why I proclaim to you, because this is what I want you to have. He's just kind of being clear. He's being clear from the very beginning. He's like, I, I was there. I have seen it. Not only was I there and I have seen it, but I have seen him. I know him. I saw God put on skin and walk before us. I've witnessed it. And now this is me, that guy. I'm the one that's proclaiming to you and testifying to you because my desire is that you think what I think and know what I know so that we can be quantania together in this. And then he adds a bit more to it. And he says, and indeed... Our fellowship, the one that I want you to have, our fellowship is with the Father and with his son Jesus. He said, I just don't want you to have this, this fancy word with us. I want you to have it with God, the God who made everything, the Father of all creatively, and then the Son, the Savior of all who believe. He's like, I want you, the readers of this circular letter, whom I love, I want you to have what we have. I want you to be together with us in this today. And then in verse 4, and he says, are we, and we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. And I think for John, this is almost his way of saying, I've labored for a long time. I've labored for a long time. Sixty some odd years I've labored. And I want to know that you know. 
I want to know that you know. I want my joy to be complete. I want it to be full. I want to know that my labors, my work, my effort for six, six decades has not been in vain. I want to know that you know. I want to know that you know, that I know that you know, that I know, that you know that we know, that we all know that we know. I want to know that. That's what he, you know, that's, that's, that's the Greek. <laughs> don't you love that when people say, you know, people say, here's the Greek, and you just automatically believe them? Yeah, don't believe everything you hear. John's going to say that too, by the way. But he's just like, I just, I just want to know. This is why I'm saying all of these things with the authority that's been given to me by a byproduct of what I've seen, what I've heard, what I've experienced, where I was, who I am, who I've been remade to me. I just want you to know. And I want to be sure of it so that my joy, my heart can be full and I can be confident in who you are. That's the letter. That's what he's going to do. And from, from one thing to another, using terms like light and darkness, he's going to say liar a couple of times. He's going to say truth many times. He's going to talk about love over and over and over. He's going to point back to Jesus. He's going to point forward to the way that we deal with each other. He's going to use all of these things, but at the heart of it, John just loves a group of people so much that he wants them to know truth from lies. He wants them to know reality from falsehood. He wants them to be able to discern Jesus from all the other stuff. Why is this us? Like, why do we need this? Like, what's the big deal? Number one, we're, we're not that different. We're not that different. Like, in a, in a culture right now to where the most popular stories about the church are deconstruction stories, deconstruction stories. Maybe you're not familiar with that, and that's great. I'm glad you're not, because they bother me. For someone to get a microphone and a pedestal and a speaking platform for the ways in which they have been shaped away from Jesus, and now they're proud of it, and the church elevates them because of their honesty, we've got a problem. We have a deficiency. We have a failure. We're not that different. Again, we may not use the same words. We may not say Gnosticism or Docetism. We say deconstruction. Because someone now has been enlightened to the point to where they no longer believe in Jesus. They believe in themselves. We're in the same boat. It just has a different name. And the same way in which John was addressing them, and he didn't address, address their, their problem or their faults, he just addressed truth. It's the exact same thing that we need day in and day out in a culture that says, this can't possibly be true. And John would say the same thing. I was there. I saw it. I saw him. I slept on the same rocks, covered up with the same dirt face the same fear and the same persecution. If you want to believe somebody, don't believe somebody that wasn't there, that doesn't know. Believe me, because I was, and I do. I think one of the first lessons that we take from this is that we actually need to make sure, like with great clarity and certainty, that the place we are going to feed ourselves with truth is worthy of us eating there. We need to make sure that we're getting our truth from the right place. The problem is there's a ton of people, and they claim we're the right place. I know. We have to be sure. And here, here's our starting place. Here's our finishing place. Here's our maintaining place. It has to be Scripture. 
because of all other things, they change. Culture will change everything else. Sin will change everything else. Our desires will change everything else. But Jesus, God, his ways, it's a big word that we call efficacious. He does not change. Therefore, his ways do not change. His desires do not change. His heart does not change. His life does not change. And so if we want to stay in concrete truth, we stay in Scripture. And you say, well, Scripture's been translated many, many times. Yes, it has, and we're not going to chase that rabbit. If you want empirical truth about how Scripture has maintained its validity and its truth far better than any other written work, I can send you a link. We just have to have this as a starting place, that we need to stay here, we need to be here, and we need to continue here. We have to. Any other place is going to let us down. Any other place is going to let us down. And that's the reason it's vital. We hear what John's saying. He's like... I know truth because I saw truth. I know truth because I walked with truth. I know truth because I touched his hands after truth raised himself from the grave. I know truth because I saw truth ascend back to where he rightfully belonged. I know. And he's like, and I just want you to know. There'll be a ton of places, a ton of times, a ton of sources that will say that we're wrong. But Jesus is never wrong. And I want you to know. I want you to know. And I want to know that you know. Same heart. We're not so dissimilar. Poor thought, bad teaching, bad sources, selfish reasons. Same boat, different name. And we need truth. Truth is the solution. Same thing that John's doing here. We need correct thought. Like we don't save ourselves with good reason. We don't save ourselves with good thought. We don't save ourselves with a right paradigm of morality and structure. We don't. Jesus and only Jesus who saves us. But we need to know the ultimate truth about Jesus. Who he was, what he did, who he claimed to be, and why all of that was valid. Like we need to know those things. And we need to pursue those things. We need to remind ourselves of those things frequently. And we need people that we can trust to remind us of those things frequently. And again, starts, continues, and processes through Scripture. It has to. And so this is uh, just kind of a, a thing for us to evaluate the sources that we use. Maybe you're a podcast listener. Maybe you're a, a, a sermon watcher. Maybe you're all those things. Maybe you're a voracious reader. Whatever that is, that's fine. But make sure that it starts and ends with Scripture. I can't tell you how many times I have to dissect the video because someone says, hey, I watched this the other day on YouTube, um, and it poses some interesting thoughts. And I pull it up, and it's an hour and a half long. And I'm like, an hour and a half? Why wouldn't you choose a shorter piece of heresy? That would be great. But instead, they choose an hour and a half long piece of heresy, and I have to watch it and listen to it. And then I have to go through line by line and be like, hey, this is why this guy's off his rocker. He's crazy. He's basing it on experience, not on scripture. So please, um, watch shorter pieces of heresy if you're going to send them our way, okay? Neil would appreciate that too. So just make sure you, you watch shorter pieces. But either way, like make sure, like proofread before we read. Like, be responsible. Don't just pick up anything and just because it says God in the title or Jesus on the title, assume that it's great. If you're watching YouTube shorts, you're not getting the whole picture. Man, we have so many people following celebrities now just because they say that God's changed my life. They didn't mention Jesus. They didn't mention surrender. They didn't mention that they had to come to grips with the fact that they were sinful, broken, and separated from God. They didn't say anything. They're just like, God can change your life. Yeah, that's a great message, but we need more to that. We need to know more. We can mean a lot when we say God. 
But unless Jesus the Son and the Spirit comes as a seal, is attached to that, it's not the same God that we're worshiping. A.W. Tozer, man, and, his, and I promise you should read this book every year. It's trustworthy. It's a great one, The Knowledge of the Holy. The very first chapter, he talks about what we've done. Our greatest sin is idolatry. Our greatest sin is idolatry because we've created images of God that do not line up with Scripture. But that's what we're worshiping. Those images that are, that are palatable, those images of God that make sense to us, those images of God that, that make everything rosy and peachy keen, and that's what we're worshiping, but it's not the God of the Bible. Therefore, we're all committing idolatry. If we want to be guilt-free when it comes to idolatry, worship the one true God. That means we have to commit to know the one true God and his son whom he sent and the spirit that was sent as a seal for us that guides us, directs us, convicts us when we're wrong. We have to do the work before we do the work. And if you don't know, ask someone who does that you trust. Poor thought, bad teaching, bad sources, selfish reasons. We need to correctly think about the Jesus of the scriptures, the Jesus of the gospel, who he was and what he came to defeat. Stuff that we couldn't, namely sin. And we need to be sure of our thought. But also, like, the one thing I love about the book of 1 John it's a, book of, uh, it's a book of indicators. Like, I'm a, I'm a fly fisherman, which means that I, I like to make things incredibly hard on myself um, and probably spend more money than somebody should on fishing. But, and I can rationalize my way around it all I want, but I'm just, I'm just throwing out the faults there. But, but we use these things called indicators when you fly fish. Don't ever call it a bobber, okay? Don't ever call it a bobber or a cork. We'll get really upset, and we'll throw small flies at you. Um, and they hurt when they stick in. But these are called indicators. And so when you're fly fishing, most of the time, especially for trout, you're fishing in moving bodies of water. And sometimes it's really hard to see what's going on underneath uh, the water. You don't know if a trout has taken your fly or not. Sometimes you're, you're fishing in beautiful places. Like, that's the one thing about trout fishing. Like, you're never fishing in ugly places most of the time. And so you put these indicators uh, well above your fly and well above the weight that's getting your fly down into this, the current. And so what this does is it shows you on the surface what's going on underneath. It shows you on the surface what's going on underneath because as this drifts down and you see it stop or you see it do this, you know that something's messing with your fly. But you can't see that trout, but you can see the indicator. And so you know what you do? You tight line, raise your rod tip. That's what you do. You set the hook gently on their delicate little mouths. Okay? You don't drive the hook home like you do on a dumb bass because it'll rip right out. Delicate. Delicate and more expensive. And so it just drifts down, and if it stops or if it darts side to side when current's going this way, you, you do something about it. It's an indicator, something that reveals on the surface what's going on underneath. The beautiful thing about the book of 1 John, for us as followers of Jesus and the people that were reading it at the time, it's a book of indicators. Because doubt arises. Like doubt arises as to the validity of Jesus, the nature of salvation the status of my salvation, the status of my relationship with God. Those doubts arise, and sometimes it's hard to tell what's going on underneath. But what this book does and what John so expertly does is he gives us a series of if-then statements. If you say that you know God, then this should be happening as a result. Or, on the, contra on the contrary, if you are doing this, it indicates that you don't know God. It's a book of beautiful indicators. And for, again, the culture that we live in that wants us to question and doubt everything, sometimes it's so nice just to see a statement 
that reveals on the surface what is going on underneath. I need those in my life. You need those in your life. The we of the I, we need those in our lives. Sometimes we just, we just need to know what's going on underneath in my life and the lives around us. And that's what we get to see in the book of 1 John. We get to see a culture that looks so similar to ours, again, with different names, but the same temptation to void the progress that Jesus has made in your life. But instead of thinking about voiding that, we can just combat that with truth. What is the, the true nature of my salvation? What is the true nature of following Jesus? What is the true nature of love? What is the true nature of forgiveness? What is the true nature of this life that God has called me into out of the one that I was born into? I hope you stick around for the next several weeks. I hope you read ahead. Like, I'll be honest, like, read ahead. There's going to be some places that are confusing. We're going to sift through those. We're going to do our best. But at the end of all of this, like 1 John is such a great, great big bag of tools to throw amongst the rest that God's given us through Scripture. And I do. I echo the same thing that John does. Like, I want to know that you know that Jesus is alive, that Jesus is real, and he's the author of your salvation. I want to know that. So stick around with us for the next several weeks. God, we love you. Thank you so much for your word. Thank you so much for the truth that, that only you can give, the place that we can go for truth, that we can trust, that we can invest our lives in, um, and God, we can place our hope in. God, over the next while as we, as we study this letter uh, that John wrote for a specific purpose, God, I pray you would use it for the same specific purpose in our life, to refine what we believe about you, uh, to continue to progress our faith in you, and God, to allow us to tell truth from lie. God, I, I desire for this, this church family called Origins to be a people that walk in the light because you are in the light, to be a people that love because you loved first, to be a people that are conspicuously different because that's what you call us to be and a city that we live in so desperately needs to see it so they too can know you. God, I thank you for loving us. I thank you for the richness of your word and the trustworthiness of who you are. And it's in your son's name we pray. Amen. So we, uh, it's the fifth Sunday of the month, and every fifth Sunday, or the last Sunday of the month, we have a, a time of just believers' communion. Um, the table is set up back there with, with juice and bread. We're going to do it a little different today than we normally do. Um, as the song plays, we're gonna, we're gonna, we'll walk through what communion is in just a second, but for the, the how we do it today, we're just going to ask you to stand up, walk back, grab the juice, grab the bread, and just come back to your seat and just sit. And then uh, when it looks like most people are back in their seat, then we'll take communion together as one big faith family. Um, but before that, just maybe you don't know what communion is about. I would encourage you to go back and listen to the series in Mark. We had a Sunday on communion and, and how Jesus started and said about the Lord's Supper. But for today, this is why we take communion. Number one, um, as followers of Jesus, committed, redeemed by the blood of Jesus and Jesus alone, not right thought, not good morals, not the right voting structure, just by Jesus. As those people, we take the bread, we take the juice to remind us that his body was broken, off, broken for us, his blood was spilled for us, and without such, we could not know God. And we celebrate that. As painful as it is, we celebrate that Jesus died on our behalf. But we remember that, but we also look forward to the fact that all the things that he died for, and that he is fixing by proxy, one day he's going to return and fix them fully. And then for the rest of eternity, we get to live with no sadness, no sickness, no pain, no open heart surgery. None of that 
We just get to live in glory with Jesus. So we look back. We look forward. But we do it as committed followers of Jesus. Like this is one of those things. It's not, it's not a means of excluding, but it is a means of understanding that this is a family practice. Like this is something we do because we have been bought by the same blood through the same Savior, indwelled by the very same Spirit. So this is for committed followers of Jesus. If you're here today and you're questioning and you don't know Jesus, I applaud your ability just to sit and and not take the Lord's Supper, and that's okay. But if this prompts thought in you as to what does it mean to know Jesus, I would love to have a conversation with you. Um, Man, we would love to just chat about what it means to truly know in a relational way, in a salvific way, this God of all creation through his Son whom he sent and the spirit that's promised to us as a seal. I'd love to have that conversation. I know our community group leaders would. I know our elders and their wives would. Um, I I know that we would just love to talk you through that. Uh, We're not going to try to convince you or sell you anything or timeshares or anything, but I would like to know that you know that Jesus loves you more than anything. And so we celebrate his death and his resurrection. We celebrate the fact that he's coming again, and we do it as believers. But we also do it as believers in right standing with God. So maybe today you're a Christ follower, but sin's in your camp. Literally, metaphorically, whatever it is. You've got sin just sitting there, and you haven't dealt with it. So you've got two options. Number one, you confess and you repent, which we'll talk about in two weeks. But we can talk about it today. If there's sin there, you just tell God what it is, and you say, I don't want it anymore. I want you instead. You deal with that before you take communion. Or maybe you're not ready to. Maybe you're like, no, I can't, I can't say that and mean it today. And this, in that case, I would applaud just you just sitting there and not doing this. Scripture's pretty clear. It's for believers, but it's also for believers in which sin is not dictating our life right now. So maybe we need to do some work, or maybe we just need to sit. And if you need to discuss that this week, hey, again, um, we have a city workspace right down the street that's open and ready for business. I will meet you there and make you the best cup of coffee that you've ever had there, um, and we will we'll sit and we'll chat, um, and we would love to do that. Uh, but I'm going to pray, and as we play and as we sing, uh, you can just stand up and get the juice and get the bread, come back to your seat, And then at uh, the right time, we'll take it together. God, we love you. Thank you for your word. Thank you so much for Jesus. God, thank you that through through his life, his death, his words, his resurrection, uh, God, we can know you if we just believe. God, thank you today that we get to celebrate the one act from the one person who could make a difference for all time and all creation. Thank you for Jesus, who was not only man but was God, um, walked among us, walked among among us perfectly, and died tragically so that we could know you. Today, God, I pray that we celebrate that well, celebrate you well, and celebrate him by remembering. But also, God, thank you for the promise that he's going to return and make everything that's broken not. Make it right. Uh, God, thank you that we get to celebrate both today. I pray for that person who's sitting here that does not know you. I pray that great questions would arise. um, And, Father, we can answer them. And that through that, God, you could redeem. Um, We thank you for life change. We thank you that we can point to that as proof of you. And, Father, we just want to see more. We love you, and it's in your son's name we pray. Amen.